Open your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 this evening. I think I've said this before. I'm pretty sure that I will say it again, and it keeps proving true over and over and over again, and that is this. The good news is better than I thought. Uh, the good news is better than I thought. Let me tell you, uh, it, is, it is better by far. Dwayne Wagner would say it's gooder than I thought. It is gooder than I thought. Uh, God's grace is more amazing than I thought. God's plan is more perfect than I thought. Now listen, I knew it was perfect. It is more perfect than I thought. God's compassion is more infinite than I thought. God's love is deeper than I ever thought. And listen, I thought it was good, but the good news is better than I ever thought. Well, how could it not be? How could it not be? We serve a limitless, infinite God, and his good news will be as well. And so tonight on a Monday night, can you imagine on a Monday night, on night 31, can you imagine night 31, we're going to praise the Lord for his good news is better than we thought Amen. Tonight we're going to keep marching through the deep, important, rich chapter of John chapter 6. And once again, and as we go through this six chapters, we move along in it. We're going to see again tonight, the good news will get even better tonight. I promise you, the good news will get even better tonight. Tonight our message is entitled, Good News for All. Good news for all. Tonight we're in John chapter 6, tonight verses 30 through 40. Tonight, John chapter 6, verses 30 through 40. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 30, God's Word says this. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight, we're thankful for you, we praise you, we're thankful for our Savior, Jesus, we're thankful for the forgiveness of sin that we have 
through the finished work of Jesus. We're thankful for hope that we have tonight in Jesus. We're thankful for the hope that's not just contained to this room, but tonight has gone to 24 different countries in just this event. Lord, I pray that the good news would resound and they would know the good news of Jesus, that many would. Lord, I pray that you would speak tonight. I pray that it would be a supernatural event tonight. I pray that we would be instructed as your church tonight. I pray that your church will be added to tonight in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we come, and again, we just tell you, we thank you, we praise you, and we exalt you. We give you this hour. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In John chapter 6, Jesus has performed a great public miracle feeding the great multitude. Now, many have witnessed it. Many were part of it. And now many more are hearing of it. And so there is a great public miracle. Then he has performed really a private miracle for the benefit of his disciples. He walked on water, crossing over the Sea of Galilee. Now, I will tell you this evening, I love that as they prepare to carry the world's most unpopular message, as they are preparing to cover to carry the world's most hated message, that he builds them up. And that's what that event was about, that, that he encourages them, that in, in preparing for their task ahead, he shows them he is God, and because he is God, there is nothing to fear. I love that. John chapter 6, this great crowd has again found Jesus. Now remember, they fought him to one side of the sea, and they had the great miracle. Then they searched frantically for him. Well, now the great crowd has again found Jesus, and they've asked him, what must we do to work the works of God? Very simply, what must we do to impress God? What must we do to please God? And really it's the question, what must we do to earn our salvation? Now, it's a question for all the ages, what, what, what is something we must do? What is something that we can do to earn our salvation? Now, I want to start back here tonight with this verse, starting in verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They asked the question. He answers. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, if you remember from that, from that message, the word for is in the Greek language, in the original language, is the word I am. It is the name that God gave himself in the Old Testament, revealing himself. And so Jesus has answered them, I am the work of God. He's telling them there's nothing for you to do, because there's nothing you can do. Jesus says, I have done it. I am the means of forgiveness. I am the way to have peace with God. I am the way to salvation. Jesus says, I am the work of God. Now that's huge, that's profound. I am the work of God. Now he says what your response is, now there is a response, what your response is, you are to believe. 
That's what he says. You're to believe. Now, that, that's a, a huge truth that he's presented. That's a radical truth that he has presented. We are saved by faith in Jesus. We are saved by believing the truth of Jesus. Be sure and understand that. There's not two ways. There's not an Old Testament way and a New Testament way. There's not on that side of the world a way and this side of the world a different way. There is one way to be saved, and that is by believing the truth of Jesus. Jesus says to believe in him. Now that's radical. That's huge. He tells the crowd, believe in me. Today, be sure our salvation comes by believing in Jesus. You want to know how to have peace with God? It's by trusting in faith in Jesus. All right, verse 30, it goes on. Here we start our verses. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? In verse 30, they say, confirm it. In, in verse 30, they say, well, settle it. You say that the, you are the work of God and we're to believe in you. Well, they say, well, give us a sign, do something that we might believe in you. Now, hold up for a second. Aren't these the people that just saw the feeding of the great multitude? Aren't these those folks? Didn't most of them just cross over the sea? Didn't they just see five loaves and two fishes feed a great multitude? And then they say, we're going to need a sign that we might believe. See a pattern here. The miracles are never going to be enough. That's, that's what that reveals. That's what it's showing us here. The miracles are never going to be enough. They're never going to be big enough. They're never going to be flashy enough. They're going to never stand out enough. The miracles will never be enough. I want to tell you today, folks that are chasing miracles and they need this event and that's high and that's good. They go looking for another one. You know what? That one was never enough. That's how it is. They've heard of his miracles in Jerusalem. They've seen his great miracle on the hillside. And they actually have the audacity to say, can we get a sign? Could we see a miracle? It will never be enough. All right, verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Now here's the thing. They remember the Passover account. Remember how this whole thing started? It was near, drawing near to the Passover. They remember the Exodus account. And they remember Moses, the leader of God. They remember the provision of God, how God took care of them. They remember the protection of God, how he watched out for them. They remember the deliverance of God. They remember that. And their idea of a Messiah, and they pick one verse here, there's a whole bunch of them. Their idea of a Messiah, they quote Psalm 72, is that the Messiah would be greater than Moses. The Messiah would be bigger, would be better than Moses. And so here's really what they're saying. You fed us for one day. Moses fed us for 40 years. How will you top that? What sign will you give? That's really their question. Verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, 
I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Now remember, we've seen this several times. Truly, truly, again, means this is the truth. Take note, this is the truth. It is a statement of significance. And so when Jesus says, truly, truly, he's saying, listen up, watch this. This is the truth. He says, truly, truly, get this. Moses did not give you the bread out of heaven. Now he upsets him. We're going to see this tomorrow. But he says, my father did. Now, he doesn't say our father did. He says, my father did. And in the same way, my father gives you the true bread out of heaven. They say, we want somebody greater than Moses. We want somebody to do bigger things than Moses. We want somebody to top Moses. He says, it was not Moses who gives you the bread out of heaven. It is my father who gives you the bread out of heaven. Verse 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Now, he gives us two descriptions for the bread of God here in verse 33. He says, first, it comes down out of heaven. Now, that is a phrase meaning that it comes from the Father. So the bread of God comes out of heaven, comes from the Father. That's the first description. And the bread of God, number two, gives life to the world. How do you know you have the bread of God? Number one, it comes down out of heaven. It comes from the Father. Do you kind of hear John 3, 16? And it gives life to the world. Do you kind of hear John 3, 16? That is the bread of God. All right, verse 34. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Lord means sir. It's a term of respect. Lord, sir, always give us this bread. Now, here's the deal in verse 34. In verse 34, their physical eyes are still trying to satisfy their temporary desires. And they hear about this bread. If this bread is like that, then for sure always give us this bread. If there's going to be unlimited bread, we want to be in that line. Give us that bread. It's just like the woman at the well. Remember she said, if there's water like that, and I don't have to keep making these trips, if, if there's water like that, then give me that water always. It's the same statement, verse 35. Jesus said to them, wow, listen to this. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus responds in verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am the one that came from the Father. That's what he's been saying to him. He is incarnate God. I am the one that gives life. Remember, only God can give life. I am the one that comes from God incarnate. I am the one that gives life. And he who believes in me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never 
thirst. You see, now he's not talking about the physical any longer. Now he's talking about the spiritual. And he is telling them, he's saying very clearly, I am the Messiah. I am God incarnate. I'm God in the flesh. I'm the one that gives life. And in the forgiveness of sin and in the making of all things new, I am the bread of life. If you believe, you'll be spiritually satisfied. Notice here, the point once again is to believe. The call here, what he's telling them is to believe. He's not, he's not trying to grind them up. He's not trying to rip them up. He's trying to call them to believe. If you're spiritually needy, if you're spiritually thirsty, then the remedy for you is to believe. If you need a savior for sin, what you need to do is believe. It is a call to believe. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Remember the saying, seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. That makes sense, doesn't it? I don't know. Seeing is believing. That seems logical. Well, Jesus points out how illogical they are, and he says, you have seen, and yet you do not believe. I thought about this this afternoon. How wild to actually see Jesus, to meet Jesus, to sit on this hill and eat fish with Jesus, how wild to hear God himself in the person of Jesus talk. How wild to have met Jesus and not believe in Jesus. And I don't know, we're probably in the same boat. We're probably a lot like those folks. But I think how terrible would it have been to, to get all the way to the end and say, when I ran into Jesus, I heard him talk, I ate his fish. How, how wild to meet Jesus and in seeing be so hard you still did not believe. In seeing, they did not believe. Next up are some very important verses. And they are important for us to understand. And so I'm going to take some time to explain them. I want you to listen very carefully. Today, and it's, it's been for a couple hundred years, but today it is a growing thing. There is a teaching that says, that follows, that God chooses in his sovereign wisdom who will be saved. God chooses who will be saved. He chooses those in his grace, and for no reason that we know, no reason that we can figure out, he picks them. That he chooses them, and he gives them the ability to believe. It's called irresistible grace. He gives them the ability to believe. When they are given the ability to believe, they have no choice but to believe. Now, if he gives you this, you will believe. You have no choice. If he gives this to you, this gift, they say, they will believe. Now, in that belief, they will be saved. That's a growing teaching. The flip side of that is this. 
If he does not choose you, you will not be saved. There is no way for you to be saved. Now, it's, it's, it's very complicated. We could spend months on it. But the gist of it is this, and I'll just sum it up, and here it is. The gist of it is this. He, Jesus, did not die for everyone. It's called limited atonement. He did not die for everyone. His cross, the cross of Calvary, was not for everyone. Now, the flow of that, so therefore, he built some people. In fact, according to his own word, he built most people to live, to live in sin, to live in the pain and the consequence of sin, and then to die and spend eternity in the judgment, the torment and the judgment of that sin. He built those folks. They have no ability to ever receive him in faith. He built them to go to an eternal punishment. For his glory, they will go to an eternal punishment, and that is their fate. Now, he says that is just because they sinned, according to this line of thinking. Even though they are created with no way to ever not sin, and then no way to repent and believe in faith. It is just on his part because of his definition of justice. Now, more than that, they say you cannot tell all people in good faith that God loves them. I mentioned this the other day on John 3.16. They say you can't tell all people in good faith that God loves them because you don't know if he loves them. Most of them say you cannot say to all people that Christ died for you because they don't believe he did. And then they go as far as to say, some of them are even saying, God actually predestines and causes sin. It is a complicated subject. There is a lot to consider. We should do so prayerfully and in humility. That said, and you quote me, that is not the gospel. And that is not God. And that, by any way you stretch it, is not love. I believe the testimony of God himself, and I get it from his word. I didn't dream it up. I believe the testimony of God himself is that he loves all people. And for six chapters, we're not even getting started good. For six chapters, he has made it clear he goes after all people. You know what? They're not going to receive you in his hometown. Where does he go? His hometown. You know what? They're not going to receive you in Samaria. Where does he go? Samaria. I believe the testimony is he loves all people. And while we were yet sinners, he went to the cross. And his cross, I believe, is for all people. And I believe scripture says, and any and all that will call out to him in faith, in his grace, they are saved. That is the testimony of scripture. Let me tell you tonight, friend, that's why he gives us his word. 
That, friends, why he commissions us with an urgency to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why he calls us to preach this gospel even to the ends of the earth. And that is love. And that is grace. Why? Because that's his nature. That is his nature. I thought about this a lot this afternoon, you can imagine. Many, many years back, time goes very fast. We had some kids over at the house. Sarah learned one of the rules that we were going to stick with is this. You don't ask somebody to something that you don't ask somebody else to. Little old kid, she's got her hair in ponytails. She's having a big time. It's fun. She's got a couple of friends there, and she comes bopping in and says, can this one spend the night, stay over? The problem was this one and this one. And we talked to her about nobody spending the night. We actually think she got a spanking that night. Uh, We talked to her about what is kind and what is fair and what is nice, what is right. Let me tell you this. We are nowhere on the scale of kind and compassionate and gracious and just as is our loving God. Nowhere. All right. So these verses are the verses that are held up. There's about three sets of verses. These are the verses that are held up to defend their position. Uh, For that reason, we're going to go through them very slowly. All right, here we go. Here's the verses. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Now, listen, to understand these verses, we must look at them in context. Now, let me just tell you, to understand all verses, we must look at them in context. We do a lot of damage when we just pull a verse out and say, that's the meaning of the verse. So to understand the verses, we have to understand them in context. Now, listen, go with me here. Remember here, Jesus is speaking in the context to two groups. Now, there is one crowd but there are two groups in the crowd. Now, the two groups, there's the crowd, and then there's the disciples. That's who's in the group. There's the crowd, and there are the disciples. Now, remember, the big miracle was for the crowd. But remember, the private miracle where he walks on water was for the disciples. And so here again, in the context, here is the crowd, and the crowd is made up of these two groups, the crowd and the disciples. Let me read verses 37, 38, and 39 together, and we'll look at them. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Now stay with me. When some folks see that it says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, all that the Father gives me will come to me, they think this is talking about all people. They think this is talking about the crowd. 
And so they say that he gives some to Jesus, but he doesn't give some others to Jesus. They say from that verse, he chooses some for salvation, but he doesn't choose some others for salvation. It's the same idea in verse 39. That's what they say there as well. Well, understand this is talking here about the disciples. Now listen, it's talking about in these two verses, the chosen apostles. Now remember there's two groups here. He's talking here to the chosen apostles. He's not talking about the crowd. Now for the disciples, for the apostles, remember he is building them up. He is encouraging them to carry the world's most hated message. And so he tells them in these verses that they can be confident that I will keep you. These that the Father sent, these chosen disciples, these chosen apostles, he's telling them, I will not lose you. I'm building you up to reach the masses. You're going to have a mission after I'm gone, and I want you to be confident I will not lose you. Wisely, graciously, he tells them, you can be confident. Now, I want you to think about this whole section. You can be confident I am God. You can be confident because I am God, you have nothing to fear. You can be confident because I am God, and the reason you have nothing to fear is I will keep you, I will hold you. Now, he walked on water to strike it into their minds and hearts. Now, you say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that? Well, listen, Scripture always interprets Scripture. John chapter 17, just listen. Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus in John 17 is about to go to the cross, and before he goes to the cross, he is praying for his disciples. Now, I want you to listen to this, John 17, 11, and 12. Jesus praying for the disciples says this, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, that the name which you have given me, that they will be one even as we are. Listen, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Now, I'm going to go to another set of verses. John chapter 18. Now, this is Jesus' arrest. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 7, says this. Therefore, he asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. Listen. So if you seek me, talking about the disciples, let these go their way to fulfill the word which he spoke. Of these whom you have given me, I have not lost one. He says, Father of these chosen disciples, I kept them, and they are ready. He's not talking to the crowd. He's talking to the chosen disciples. Now remember, there's two groups in the crowd, and he is carrying out the Father's will for both of those groups. Listen to verse 38. For I have come down from heaven and to do not to do my not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
So there's two groups there, and he says the first group, he, the chosen apostles, he has kept them, he has guarded them. But now there's the second group. What is his will for them? His will for the disciples is to train them, to build them up, to lead them. I am your God. You can trust me. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You're going to question this, but you can be confident. Let me ask you this. Do you know how needed that's going to be for these folks? Did you know that the majority of these that he's talking to, they're going to be massacred. They're going to be killed. They're going to be thrown off the temple. They're going to be stabbed. They're going to be crucified. Do you know how important that is for them to know? I will not turn you over. All right, so what about his will for the crowd? These people looking for a temporary fix, these people looking for a temporary satisfaction, these in the lost crowd, here's his will for them in verse 40. For this, listen, is the will of my Father, listen, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. His will for the crowd is that everyone, do you hear that? Everyone who believes in the Son, who beholds the Son and believes in the Son will have eternal life. He says, I myself will keep them. I will raise them up in the last day. Notice they beheld the Son and didn't believe in verse 36. And here we see God's will is that in seeing the Son, seeing Jesus, they will believe. Now, let me ask you the question, what if they don't? Does that mean God is less powerful? Does that mean God is less gracious? Does it mean that he is less God? No, not at all. God's will, God's desire revealed in verse 40 is that all people upon seeing Jesus would believe in Jesus and be saved. Folks, let me tell you some good news. I told you it's going to get better. Let me tell you some good news. We do not have to prepare for those that he does not want. Do you know that? I don't, I don't have to come over here and say, you know what, some of y'all he doesn't want. And some of y'all he doesn't want. And I have to find some clever way to say he still loves you. I heard somebody the other day say, well, he causes it to rain on him, doesn't he? Well, big deal, it rains on you and you go straight to hell. That's not love. Listen, the good news is we don't have to prepare for those that he doesn't want. We don't have to explain to those that he does not desire. Can you imagine that? Sorry, woman at the well, your sins are too great. I don't want you. Sorry, blind Bartimaeus, the world has passed you by. So am I. Sorry, Zacchaeus, you're too short to make my line up. I don't want you either. No, listen to me. His grace is for all. And in his grace, he prepares the disciples to go after all. Sums it up. His grace is for all. And in his grace, he's preparing the disciples to go after all, tonight we could take a deep breath. The good news really is good news. The good news is better than we thought. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.
Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for this truth. I'm thankful for this revelation of your character. Thankful for this revelation of your heart. Thankful for this revelation of your justice. Thankful for this revelation of your holiness. Thankful for this revelation of your kindness and compassion to sinners. Lord, I'm thankful that you made a way for all of us. Lord, I'm thankful that you're not prejudiced. You're not, you're not going to come along and say, I picked this group for, for whatever reason. But you made a way for all of us. You truly are love. You truly are kind. Lord, I'm thankful for the cross of Calvary where my redemption is paid for and purchased. Lord, I'm thankful for your blood that, that covers me and pays for me. Lord, I'm thankful that of no work of my own, but in straight belief that I can and we can be saved. Lord, we're thankful for that. Lord, I pray for some that are hearing this tonight. I pray that they take the good news out of it. I pray that the good news strikes them tonight. I pray that the good news impacts their hearts tonight. And I pray that on this very night, the 31st night, they would turn to you and they would trust you. And in belief, they would be saved tonight. Lord, I pray for us that, that do know the gospel, that do know you, that have been forgiven. I pray, Lord, that we would be urgent, and I believe that's the call of this. I pray, Lord, that we'd be deliberate, and I believe that's the call of this. And I pray that we would take the good news to our neighbors, to our family members, to our friends, to those around the world that are lost outside of Jesus. Help us in that. Empower us in that. Lord, I pray in this time of invitation that you would move that you would work. We trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation, as we do every service. The most important thing is to respond to the truth of God's call, his word. His call has not changed. It is this, believe. Believe. If you're a sinner, we all are. Believe. Stuck, condemned in your sin, believe. In belief, he will save you. If you're here, listen, you heard this a million times. And for whatever reason, you've never trusted him as your Savior, do it tonight. If you're listening tonight and you've never heard this, never done it, the outcome, the call is still the same. If you'll believe, he'll save you tonight. Trust Jesus tonight. If you're here and you've followed Christ, but you've never followed in believer's baptism, I want to give you an opportunity to come and, and for that testimony to stand in your life, that celebration of what, who Christ is to us, or who we are in him. And so you come as well. We'll set a great day of celebration, testifying to who he is. If you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and believe God has led you here, you come as well. Together we'll uphold his word. We'll point to his glory till he comes again. Maybe on this 31st night, on this Monday night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to pray for the folks in those 24 countries that maybe it's 48 countries before we're done this week. Pray for those that are hearing for the first time. Pray for those that are making decisions. Maybe you have something you want to pray about in your life. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. I'm going to ask as we stand to sing, no one would stir about, head for an exit. You pray for those that are making decisions. As we stand to sing, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.